Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. There it is. I hit record and Radio Casey takes over. <laughs> oh, man, I am excited. I feel like I haven't had a chance to do a podcast in a while, and I am excited to chat with today's guest. She is amazing. She really is marketing leader, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, content strategist who is obsessed with email marketing. We are going to talk all about that today. But I got to tell you, how I know her first and foremost is from LinkedIn. She is an influencer there. She, when she jumps, everyone else jumps. Like when she talks about something, we all comment. Like, and, and I've been very impressed with her in there. But some, some actually say, and this is a direct quote, Liz is the number one marketer to follow on LinkedIn. People have actually said that. People have said that. Um, copywriter to SaaS and creators, instructor of digital marketing fundamentals at the University of Vermont, full-time consultant to the stars. Liz Willits, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Casey. Man, you're busy. You're doing a lot of things. You're crushing it. Yeah, a lot going on. I love it. It's, uh, it's a lot, though. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, like this is this is a hardcore marketing show. We're here to smash things. It's a marketing leadership series. So I got to pass you this thing and get out of the way. All right, here you go. Uh, you got it? <laughs> awesome. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. it. Okay, I had to close my window right. too. That's yeah, how serious yeah, this is getting. <laughs> yeah, be careful with that. So um, take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. All right. All right. Ready? Yes. Email marketing is dead. Ah. Yeah. That's the myth. That's the myth. And you know, it's so funny because so many people say email marketing is dead. And you know who many of these people are? Uh, they are often someone who is working at a SaaS company that sells something like a chat platform. Ooh. So they are a competitor of email marketing. Uh, and they're basically trying to say, oh, email marketing's dead. And now use our chat platform. Uh, so there is always this um, ulterior motive when people say email marketing is dead or, or they say email marketing is dead. And that's because they just finished uh, buying a bunch of email lists and emailing to their purchase lists. And it doesn't work uh, because purchase lists, 99% of the time, not going to work very well. And uh, then they're like, oh, that didn't work. Email marketing is dead. Um, and it's just not the case. Um, I see it time and again with my own clients. Email marketing is usually their top revenue platform. It's one of the best ways to sell. And uh, it, it's just so effective because you're building this audience of people who know, like, and trust you. You don't have to worry about a social algorithm. Social media is wonderful. Obviously, I love it. Um, and I use LinkedIn quite a bit for my Hardcore. business. Yeah. And I love it, uh, but LinkedIn is not good for selling. Twitter is not good for selling. Instagram is not good for selling. Uh, for one, because of the algorithm, you can't control who is seeing your message. Two, social media platforms really want you staying on the platform. They want their users staying on the platform. They don't really want you linking out to your sales pages. And uh, yeah, so you just have, not a ton of control in the social media world. 
LinkedIn tomorrow could change your algorithm and decide, hmm, we don't really like uh, what this person's doing, or we don't really want to run our, our algorithm this way anymore. And uh, then your posts will stop getting traction. So there's just a lot of lack of control in the social media world. I think it's important, great for uh, creating attention, but you need email. Uh, email is the conversion channel. I just finished working with a client who they have a massive Instagram following and they thought that most of their sales came through Instagram. We did a launch of their product and of a new product for them. And I think it was 6% of sales came through Instagram and uh, nearly 70% came through email marketing. And uh, that kind of blew their minds because they also on our first call together, they said to me, well, email marketing, it's kind of an outdated channel or people really using it. Does it wow. work? And I was like, yes, it works. Uh, let me show you. Outdated channel. You know, like you brought up in, and you've said this a couple times, algorithm, the algorithm on the social side, you're not in control. And I wrote down like algorithm, not con in control. It's so weird. Um, but so true that we got to watch out for the vendors selling strategy along with their product, right? Like use my, use my, this, use my, that. And there's a lot of channels out there and the ones that you have control over, you can probably count on one hand. And email is one of them. You know, e email, it's up to you. If I want to email, I send you an email. Now, if you don't like it, you can, you can bounce and that's a good, good call. But I, like, imagine we send an email and it like spins a wheel and it's like, how many emails are going to get delivered today? You know, and it's more than just, do you look like spam? It's just like, nope, guess what? Today, 50%. And tomorrow, oh, do you want another 50%? You have to pay a dollar per email address. Like how wacky would that be? But it's like, why do, why do we, we like emphasize these channels with like barely any control? Like SEO is one of them too. Like social right. algorithms, people are in control. Why do we, what is it about those that make us, those seem so sexy. Whereas like email, it's like, oh, it's outdated. But yet it's the one that gives you the most control. Like what, what do we think? Are we drinking something? What's going on? Well, people might often make the assumption that, well, I don't like receiving emails and emails frustrate me and, you know, I get all these spam emails, so no one else does either. And that's a big mistake to make as a marketer, uh, to assume that your audience is the same as you. And also keep in mind as a marketer that we pay extra attention to marketing. You know, we're looking at it, we're focused on it, we're watching it. Consumers are a bit different. Um, and all of the research actually backs that email marketing consumers prefer it because what happens in the social media world is people are on social media uh, often to get content from their friends and they're not often in a buying mood. They're not going on there to buy. Uh, whereas an email, that's something that people expect. Usually those are more business and transactional messages. Uh, so it's more expected. And, um, yeah, but I totally agree on the algorithm thing. Uh, the algorithm can be such a huge issue and it is for me on LinkedIn because um, sometimes, you know, I'll uh, have a post that gets very little traction that I expect to do well. And it could be that the content's crap, but uh, sometimes, you know. No, not from you. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you, the algorithm has a big impact. It's just weird because some days will work way better than others. And you're like, really? This post got that much traction and this other one didn't? So it's kind of weird. But then with my email newsletter and with my clients' email newsletters, 
I know what to like the statistics, like the averages, you know what to expect before you send an email. Like I know what we can expect as far as an open rate and what we can expect as far as a click through rate based on the historical averages that they have. So you know what to expect. Uh, and it's, it's just much easier to rely on because I can say, Hey, you know, we get an average open rate of 40%. Uh, we're getting an average click through rate of 8%. If we promote this product, uh, to this audience, here's what we can expect as far as sales. Right. And that is just not the case with social media. Social media is great for building an audience, but ideally you want to get that audience onto your email list. Right. Right. So they each have, they each have roles to play, but when in doubt, like we're driving them toward the one where we have control. Uh, you know, I, I still remember when um, people were driving Facebook likes on their company page and whatnot for a long time. They're paying huge dollars to Facebook. Great. Let's grow our community. And because whatever you put out to your Facebook community that you saw, and then Facebook was like, yeah, well, you want to reach all of them. It's going to cost you more. We're, by default, you'll only reach a fraction of them and to, you have to pay extra. To, and then everyone was like, wait, what? You just pulled the rug from underneath us. And it was kind of a trick maybe. Yeah, I remember no. that because I was I was young in my career when that all started happening because I was at a company where I was running much of their marketing and I convinced the the leadership team like hey, we need Facebook likes, we need people liking our business page, yeah. let's pay for sponsored posts, let's pay to get people to our Facebook business page. And then soon after that, you know, they changed the algorithm and it's like, well now the everyone liking your Facebook business page you still have to pay if you want them to see the posts that you post on your Facebook business page, uh, which was just, uh, you know, all these businesses had invested so much in building up a following. And on Facebook nowadays, if you have a Facebook business page, uh, a fraction of your followers are going to see your posts um, yeah. and it's pay to play. Like TikTok. What's your take on TikTok? Oh, so, ha, so side story on TikTok. Yes, I, TikTok yes, please. <laughs> highly addictive. Um, so I, I got TikTok recently, um, well, probably like a couple months ago, and it's dangerous. You know, I end up in like the constant loop of, totally. of videos on TikTok. It's extremely addictive. And I have been, I haven't launched a social media strategy on TikTok. Part of the reason being, um, everything that's going on with TikTok right now and mm -hmm. the potential acquisition and what's happening there. And again, that's another risky area because you could have this massive audience on TikTok, which is great. If you have a massive audience on any social media platform, you can monetize that. That's awesome. But on the other hand, they can just pull the rug out from under you overnight. Uh, yeah. So if TikTok, you know, is banned in the U S these U.S. influencers on TikTok are screwed. Um, and you better hope that they have marketing channels on multiple platforms, not just on TikTok, uh, because that's their entire business. If they, mm -hmm. you know, let's say they quit their job because they're making thousands of dollars on TikTok, which is very possible. Um, and then, uh, you know, TikTok gets banned and that's all they had. And they never built their email list. They never built a following on anywhere else. And, um, you know, at that point, they're in huge trouble. Um, so my take on TikTok, I'll probably start getting on there and seeing what I can do because 
there aren't a ton of marketers on there. Uh, there aren't a ton of businesses on there. So a great place to get in early. That worked for me on LinkedIn, getting in early, posting before everyone else is posting, mm-hmm. um, and also going in and doing new things on a, on a platform that's changing or right. that a platform that's new. So I do recommend to people to get on TikTok. But anytime you're on any of these social media platforms, you need to have strategies to get people onto your email list. Because if TikTok shut down tomorrow, and let's say, or let's say LinkedIn shut down tomorrow, and I have about 20,000 followers on LinkedIn, if, if they shut down- Hello to all of them listening. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're listening, yes. Um, if, if it shut down tomorrow um, and I had to move, I had to somehow like right. you know, figure out a new platform, I have an email list. I can email my email list, be like, hey, I'm done on LinkedIn. Come over here to Twitter or come over here to TikTok. Wow. Um, and that's the, the power of an email list. If you don't like what your email marketing platform is doing, you can export your email list and hit the road. Uh, it's yours. And that is not the same with social platforms. That's, that's so powerful. And, and the risk so bringing up TikTok, like the, the there is risk to that platform and in it's like a great case in point to your whole whole argument here your whole myth smashing which is you never know if some company like you would think okay the normal risks well what if microsoft buys it or what if you know they change and they or like facebook you and they make you pay to play or something like that that's a risk but who would have ever thought like the president of the U S may ban you in this country or because your data servers are in China and we're not really sure what you're up to. Like you may like you, you're not probably not researching that on all your lead sources. So it's like a massive risk to have any foot too firmly on any one of these platforms instead driving them to email, driving them to email. Tell me, tell me where do you drive them to? Is it your website or tell me about how people sign up for your mailing list? Yeah, so I recently created a lead magnet called How to Get Benchmark Busting Open Rates. And so a lead magnet, for those who are unaware, is a freebie you give people in exchange for subscribing to your list. If you work in B2B and in many B2C industries as well, it is extremely effective to have a lead magnet. I created this uh, How to Get Benchmark Busting Email Open Rates. It's on my website at lizwillets.com under the free guide tab. So if anyone wants to get it. There it is. I created that because everyone asks me about open rates. Uh, There are a lot of misconceptions about email open rates. People don't understand how email open rates are actually tracked. Everyone just focuses on email subject lines and email subject lines are important. Uh, They're your hook. You know, they can get someone who might not open to open, but they are just one part of the equation. Email deliverability is a huge part of your open rates. Um, So is your preview text. Uh, So is your historical relationship of a subscriber. If you've lost your subscriber's trust over time, it doesn't matter what your subject line is. Mm. Uh, They're not going to open it and uh, they probably will unsubscribe at some point. So there's a lot that goes into open rates that uh, people never recognize or uh, work to improve. And that's what this guide goes through. It also shares some tips for email subject lines. Um, I created that guide because of how many people ask me about email open rates. And uh, I share that guide on LinkedIn uh, every so often. And that's one way I grow my list. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also on my website. So every day, I haven't promoted it for a little bit, but every day I get new subscribers who just go in and find it and sign up for it. Uh, a lot of people share it with other people too. Yeah. 
So that's my recommendation on a lead magnet. People think, well, if I just create this lead magnet, everyone's going to sign up for it. And the lead magnet doesn't need to be any good because I got mm. them. I got them. You know, once they give me their email address and they see the lead magnet, uh, they're stuck anyway. I have their email address. And that's, and I don't know if people think about it in exactly that some manipulative do. way. Yeah, some do. Uh, but a lot of people also just kind of create a lead magnet really quickly because they just need to get it up there. But I would recommend investing some serious time in your lead magnet, making it amazing. Uh, because for, for a few reasons, one, people are going to tell everybody about it. If it's this really amazing free resource, they're going to share it with their friends, which is going to grow your list Two, This is your for, first point of like building a relationship of a new subscriber. If you give them something crappy, there's an easy, there's a, they would, they can easily assume that all of your other content is going to be crappy too. You know, it's not giving them a good reason to open future emails, but if you give them this guide that they're, or this resource that they're blown away by, and it kind of makes them think, whoa, this like free piece of content, is this valuable? Mm -hmm. Then that's going to help get them to open and click on future emails. It's going to build a relationship. Um, and they're going to be really thankful that and look for, look to you for more content like that. So one of the big mistakes I see is people uh, kind of write it in when they, um, when they create their lead magnet, but instead I'd create something really high quality. I'd even have a beta group who reads it and gives you feedback, revise based on the feedback, even use some of the feedback as testimonials for the guide. Um, but yeah, don't create a crappy lead magnet. That's your first impression of your content for your audience. So blow them away. So true. I was just thinking about an example where I was, I'm like marketing automation. I love it. And I was curious about that plus AI. And so I Googled it. Sure enough, an ad came up, marketing automation plus AI. Read our, like our paper on this. And I was like, sweet. That's what I'm looking for. Like, I was curious. I'm really, I am curious. So I, filled out their stupid lead form and, and I got the, the paper and it was designed well, but it was absolute rubbish. There was nothing in there. And I, and I being in the business knew that this was like a fluff piece. They did exactly what you're talking about. And in, in, in the first impression, I like the, I was like the dating analogy. The first date was terrible. You know, it's like they used someone else's photo on the site or something. It was, and so I was really kind of pissed because I felt tricked. I felt like, okay, you got my email, but I'm going to unsubscribe from you instantly. And you know what, of course, happened too is the next day, some inside poor, poor inside sales rep called me. And, and I was like, oh, I remember you guys. Yeah, oh, brand recognition's there now, 100% of my brain. Like you guys, and I didn't say this to the person, but like in my head, I'm like, you guys suck. And so I told the person, your paper was terrible. I felt tricked. I really am not interested in anything you have to say. So maybe you bring that feedback back, you know? And I was nice about it because I realized they're just trying to do their job. But for their marketing team, I was like, screw you guys. Like, come on. And it's so true. And, and I, I don't even remember their brand, but if I ever bump into it again, I, I'm just not interested. It's like the terrible, you know, I, so the people to your point that want to sacrifice, like, oh, we'll get them in the door. I, I can't imagine any stats that say that that's going to work out in the end. What an idiot move. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. And sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's unintentional where you have the person on their marketing team responsible for writing this lead magnet is someone who's 
you know, fresh out of college, it's their first year on the job and they're working in some industry they don't know. So for instance, my first job, I worked at a, I've always worked in SaaS, uh, but I worked at a company that did interior design software. Uh, and it wasn't just interior design software, it was interior design software for uh, project management and accounting. So I didn't know anything about interior design. I didn't really know much about managing interior design projects. And I sure as heck did not know anything about accounting. Uh, so as a content creator. Wait, uh, you were their content writer? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. yep. I feel like yeah, I, I might was... be accidentally hating on you if you, like, if you wrote that AI piece, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean. Good point. Maybe it's not even their fault. Right. It's a common struggle for fresh marketers who are new yeah. to our industry. It's, it's, it's a challenge because sometimes, yeah, the, people aren't caring. They're just writing it in. But sometimes they're like, I don't know this industry. Now <laughs> I'm supposed to write about it like I'm an expert. And then you have yeah. the CEO of the company who is extremely knowledgeable and they're unwilling uh, to be involved in the marketing of this. They don't care about the marketing. They're not concerned about it. So then you have this poor marketer who's like, what do I do? And so they create this guide that's not very helpful. But I have an easy workaround for that easy way to create really valuable content, even when you don't know the industry. Now you do need to learn the industry that you're in. You do need to learn it as a content marketer. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't know the industry, here's your lead magnet. Interview five to 15 experts in your industry, top people, ask them a very specific question. Uh, so for instance, let's take my open rate guide. If I wanted to create, let's say I knew nothing about open rates and I wanted to create a guide on open rates, I would five, find uh, five to 15 email experts and I'd email them a question, be like, hey, we want to feature in our guide. What's your number one open rate tip? And you just quote them all in your lead magnet, link back to their sites. They appreciate the awareness. They appreciate the acknowledgement. Uh, and then you have this guide that is written by literal experts in the field. Uh, it's a yeah. high quality piece of content. Ideally, you want to dig deep with these experts. So, you know, get them to share tactical information as well as strategic information. Uh, and that's a simple way to bridge the knowledge gap you might have as a new marketer in a new industry is just interview the experts. Makes sense. It makes total sense. And I'm glad we didn't just leave it at like, don't write bad content. We're like, okay, if you're that innocent person, you really do care and you want to put out good content, don't feel like it has to be on you. You don't have to invent this stuff from scratch. There are some great people you can interview. And you know, I think sometimes people are hesitant to like link to other people. Like you're, so, so you're somehow supposed to know everything. Well, I for sure don't know everything. Like this podcast helps me know more. So it's not about you, you know, the podcaster or the content creator. It's about where did you learn this from? And if you can help people out by, you know, if that AI piece instead had done what you had done and said, here's what industry experts have been, we asked them all, here's what they all say, including our own CEO or something. Here's what they all say on AI plus marketing automation. That would have solved the problem. I really would have. I think I should like to email them and be like, hey, go listen to this Tell podcast. Them. Maybe you should hire this, this little gal because she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> you <sighs> tell them. You tell them. Yeah. And you could be strategic about it. You don't have to interview your competitors. True. Um, true. You, can, yeah. you can interview people who, if they end up promoting this piece, which they're likely to do because they're featured in it, uh, then their audience is aligned with your audience. So them sharing it can really boost your own audience. That's so, a great point. So be strategic about it. So let me then, let me ask you about, cause you, you kind of teased us with it. And, and I re the reason I asked you about that, um, that magnet is I, I want people to go fill that out for sure. The 20,000 people that came from LinkedIn listening to your episode need to all go convert 
get off of social and get onto your email list, but also for that, for the opening guide, like, do you, you throw out some tips now to kind of like tease everyone in terms of what they, they can get and they can expect to get with that, that lead oh. magnet. And then I want people to go do it because I want them to see the mechanism of how you, how, how you're doing it so that we can just emulate everything you're doing in that way. Right. Yeah. So tease the guide. You want some like, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Tell me about it. Open rates, d- delivery. Okay. So most people don't understand how open rates are tracked. Uh, so big, big section from the guide is talking about how open rates are actually tracked. And people are like, well, I don't care about that. I don't really care. But it's really important because um, open rates aren't accurate. They aren't actually 100% accurate. Email marketing platforms who are the ones uh, giving you these open rates, they don't actually have like Gmail, Yahoo doesn't tell them how many people are opening the email. Uh, and Gmail and Yahoo and other internet service providers don't want them to know. Uh, so email marketing platforms had to come up with a solution to figure out open rates without the people who actually know the open rates telling them. Uh, so what they did was they put, they put an invisible image in every single email. And if that mm. image loads, then it's tracked as an open. Now you might understand the big issue with this. A lot of people have image loading turned off by nature in their inbox preferences. And so they might be opening every single email, but on your end, it looks like they're not. Uh, So a big thing that I talk about in the guide too is making sure you're deleting disengaged subscribers, but you've got to be careful when you're deleting disengaged subscribers based on open rates, because some of them might be opening. And so in the guide, I give a solution to that and how to run something called a re-engagement campaign uh, that's going to help you remove disengaged subscribers from your list, which is really important, uh, but also make sure you're not accidentally removing your most engaged people. And uh, let's see, oh, something else I share from the guide that people love. You know, I I talked about how subject lines aren't the most important thing in open rates, but they are important. So I share, I think it's seven fill in the blank formulas for subject lines. Uh, So it's kind of like Mad Libs where, yeah, so where people can just fill in uh, to the the blanks to customize the subject lines to um, their business. And uh, these are just a couple, uh, you know, the seven will give them quick wins and then also give them inspiration on creating their own formulas and what goes into creating a convincing, compelling, like psychologically motivating subject line. Do you have any tips on the subject lines Mm. or like to do's or don't do's? Yeah. So first off, don't be clickbaity. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by clickbait is you have a subject line that is merely intended to get opens. And then it's basically a trick because the email content itself doesn't deliver on what the subject line is saying. And clickbait subject lines are problematic because they degrade trust. You know, if you're, if you're getting people to open, you're giving them this knee jerk reaction to open your emails and then they open it and they're disappointed immediately by what they see inside the email because it's not, the the subject line is clearly just clickbait. You're losing their trust. You know, it's, You're, you're losing their trust and they're going to be less likely to open future emails and they're going to think you're kind of scammy. Uh, so you can use exciting, interesting subject lines that grab people's attention. You just need to make sure uh, that the content delivers. Uh, so one of my clients, we, I did a subject line for them that was, uh, the subject line was, um, and they're two food bloggers, 
um, and they're part of the face of the company. And uh, the subject line was, it's uncomfortable to admit this. And, hmm. uh, you know, a very emotional subject line. Uh, it's uncomfortable to admit this. Sounds like, whoa, there's a big reveal about to go on here. And uh, the open rate was in the 80 percentile. I think it was like 86% open rate. And um, People want to know the drama. Yeah, people want to know the drama. But when you use a subject line like that, the content needs to, needs to, needs to deliver. Yes. Otherwise, you're hurting the trust that your audience has placed in you. Um, so you can only use a subject line that like that in a situation where the content can back it up. And so the content of the email was talking about um, the founder's own story about how it was uncomfortable to admit, but uh, they had worries. They're a plant-based vegan blog, uh, but they had worries about raising their own kids on a vegan diet, even though they're telling everybody else, live this plant-based lifestyle. And uh, so that was the story inside the email and it went into the product they created to guide parents on um, plant-based foods. Uh, so it was, an, mm. it, it was actually a sales email selling one of their products uh, and it had an 86% open rate. And then how you can tell if your subject line is clickbaity but not delivering is if the click-through rate is really low. Mm -hmm. But the click-through rate in this case, I think it was like a nearly a 40% click-through rate. Jeez. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, a way for me to feel really confident that people didn't feel it was clickbait, uh, but realized that the subject line was actually a part of this story. And if you can start telling a story in your subject line that people want to know the ending to, that is a great way to get people to open your emails. Um, so that's one tip I'd recommend. Boom. If there yeah. was a quote, if this got quoted and thrown on LinkedIn, that might've been it. The idea of telling a story with your subject line. And then it's one that they want to, wow. <laughs> wow. Have you said that before or did they just, uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about the idea of stories, but I don't know if I've actually said that. That, well, that is gold before. right there. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <laughs> that yeah. goes on your next subject line, the, but like it opens the book, you know, it, oh, you, you're convincing people to open the book. And then, I mean, this happens with, books too. I mean, everyone's talking about books with COVID these days. Cause it's like, what are you reading? What are you reading? And if they can't capture you with that first couple of pages, people may not be in. I know there's some books who are like, Oh, you really got to read like nine chapters to really get into it. It's like, yeah, but most people aren't going to do that. Um, so yeah, your, your subject opens the story and then they're reading it. And then it's like, do they want to flip the next page by clicking? It's great. You sort of like have built this whole thing along. My question to you is you mentioned trust a couple of times where it's like, we've got this relationship we've started. We've talked about the bad first dates. Tell me about the trust you build or hurt with your emails. You've mentioned this several times. There's almost like this, this untrackable thing we have going on behind the scenes that maybe we're not really taking in, taking in consideration, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really important to build, to build trust with your email marketing. And every email marketing strategy that I create, there's an element of it that is about building trust. Uh, so... Uh, trust is important because in, in, in this world we live in where everyone's trying to sell us something and we live in a digital world now too, where we're not at the store holding the product, talking directly to the salesperson. 
often, you know, often it's uh, e-commerce sales or it's a service-based business that's uh, trying to sell people and you might have a zoom meeting of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just trust is a massive issue. And there are a lot of scammy marketers out there. There are a lot of lying marketers out there and con- your consumers, your audience, they've been tricked. They've been lied to. They've had purchases that backfired on them. They've lost money. Um, and so, Trust is really, really important. And one of the best ways to build trust is giving people free value. And that's like the definition of content marketing. So giving them free value that helps them solve their biggest problems. Uh, So you first off need to understand your audience's biggest problems to even make this happen. Uh, But then also you need to create content or value that actually helps them solve those problems. And when you help people solve their biggest problems, when you answer the questions that have been driving them nuts and you do that for free and you do it in a really thorough and helpful way, uh, it, um, it makes, it builds a relationship and it, it uh, creates reciprocity where people are grateful for all the help you provided to them. So they're more likely to want to help you or want mm-hmm. to buy your product. Um, so what I do in email marketing to make that happen is usually I'll have an automated welcome series, uh, where the first bunch of emails, all, all those emails are focused on doing is providing massive, massive value to the reader. Uh, and I have to understand the audience enough to know what are their biggest problems. And then basically I help solve those problems with content in the welcome series, and um, it's, it's really effective at building trust. It also encourages people to continue opening and clicking on emails um, because, you know, they realize how valuable those emails are. And on the LinkedIn level, I put out free content all the time. I have never sold my services on LinkedIn, yet people come to me asking to do work with me from LinkedIn all of the time. And I've never had to sell them. Um, and, and it's because I put value on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. People appreciate that value. They also start to realize, oh, she knows a lot about email marketing. And then the next time that they have an email marketing project, they're like, oh, Liz. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. she's always on there on LinkedIn providing this value. And the same thing with my email newsletter for my subscribers. They might not buy. I, you know, I sent a newsletter yesterday. No, one, no one's knocking on the door after that newsletter being like, oh, we're ready to buy. Um, but you know, after a few newsletters, after giving value, uh, that's when people will, you know, they just, they'll just come to you and, uh, you really, I mean, I encourage having uh, sales emails in your automated series, but when you produce really great content, people come to you, uh, and they want to work with you and you don't really have to sell as much when you're building a relationship and you're providing true value. Yeah. Wow. It's, it, it's one of those, those metrics that, again, we, we maybe doesn't have a hard number in the CRM next to the person, but you sure, it's almost like dark matter, right? Apparently it's most of the universe is dark matter, but uh, we don't, we can't see it, but really it's driving a lot of things. Same thing. It's like the dark matter of email marketing is like the trust, the trust and the value you're creating and you're, and you're perfect example on LinkedIn. You're just creating value for people. Um, and you buy from people you trust in the end. And so, you know, it's so, it's so critical. People mind that pay more attention to that. Where do you, where do you see things going these days? 
crazy world. We're almost out of our 2020s, so we can maybe 2021 will be amazing. So what, what, what kind of things do you see coming around the, the, the bend around the corner that we should you know, be excited about or what kind of opportunities are, have you been really zeroing in on? Yeah. So in the email world, a uh, big one that I am like obsessed with and can't wait until it becomes more mainstream is uh, AMP for email. Um, and that's AMP stands for accelerated mobile pages. You don't really need to know that. Um, but what AMP for email does, like a one sentence description of it, is it's making emails more like websites in their functionality. Um, so it's making emails dynamic um, where they can change even after you've sent the email. Uh, so if you've ever, you know, sent an email with a typo in it, you realize that, oh, emails are static documents. And uh, now I have this typo out there or I have this wrong link. And now I need to send another email. That's like, oops, sorry. Here's yeah, like uh, first name underscore, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Personalization header. issues. Yeah. Um, so dynamic email content, instead of it being a static document, the email can actually change. Uh, so for example, you could have like a live Twitter feed in an email that's constantly updating. Um, and uh, then also emails can be interactive with AMP for email. Uh, so I think that somewhere we could go with email that's really, really excited, exciting with AMP for email is actually being able to make purchases directly from an email. You never need to visit the website. You can just click a button in the email to buy. Um, and that's not happening right now, but I think that is the potential that AMP for email allows for, which as a marketer is amazing because uh, as we know, friction is a big issue. We want to reduce friction. We want it yeah. the easiest path to conversion and AMP helps for that, helps with that because you can also do on our smaller level right now, people are already using AMP for email. Uh, so you can do things like schedule an appointment uh, directly from an email. You can do things like having a form sure. in your email that people oh. can fill out directly in the email. Um, I have done, I've worked on emails where we had interactive surveys in the email, uh, where you could have, um, or even like quizzes. We had a quiz once that was like a true or false quiz. Uh, like for example, true or false, you should buy an email list. And when you clicked on true mm -hmm. or false, yeah, which the answer is no, you should not buy an email <laughs> Just in case anyone um, was wondering. Yeah, no. And, uh, so, but if you clicked on false, it would give you the correct answer, but it also so that show the percentage of people who had answered. The same oh, that is cool. Had. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, what this, what AMP for email is doing is pulling from a da pulling data from a database and putting it directly into the email. Um, so you can do you, I mean, as you can imagine, there's an insane amount of things that you can do with that to make emails way more interactive and way more dynamic and actually remove the need for the website or taking a person to a website in many cases. Um, so the other thing is, as you're thinking about this and thinking how this could change the email landscape, it's uh, for marketers, it's like a huge new way to think. Like if we don't need to be taking people to our website, like how is that going to change the world of marketing? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's kind of mind blowing because as marketers we're trained, like oh, get that click, get that click yeah, in the email. Get it. Get it. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, we're also, you know, uh, driving website traffic, driving traffic to your website is important from an SEO perspective. So it's going to change uh, the world 
And there are companies already using it. Uh, for instance, the company that I used to work at, AWeber, uh, you can check out their email newsletter. It often has AMP elements in it. Um, and Pinterest has used it. I believe they used it. Do you need a certain tool? Like, is, is how, how soon is this coming? You can do this now? And yeah, you, what, you can what, do what can this, do it? Yeah, you can do it now. So um, certain email marketing, you have to have an email marketing platform that supports it. Okay. Uh, so not all of them support it yet. And the other thing is you do have to get approved by Google. Um, so AMP for email is run by, in part, by the team at Google and by the team at Gmail. Yes. Uh, so they are kind of, I kind of would think of it as like, they want to make sure you have a certain sending volume and that you are somewhat successful at email marketing before they're going to approve you for AMP for email right now. It's kind of like a beta in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you got to get approved, uh, which I don't know how strenuous that process is for someone who's like not uh, a regular I, I email wonder, marketer. Does, does this give the algorithm control over email in the future? In what sense? Like, Explain that thought. If all of your, like one thing with email is at least it delivers and controls, but if it, if it ties into these advanced functionalities, but if somebody else holds the strings to them, it's not like we just upgraded to HTML six or seven. We, it requires an intermediary. And is that, is, is it Google going like, Oh, we could eventually take over your email. And because all email requires using these advanced features to send you need to make sure your Google account is up to date or you need to make sure you send it with Gmail or something. I wonder. Good question. Uh, so to clarify, Gmail and Google are leading this project, I would say, and heavily involved with it, but they are collaborating with all okay. of the other internet service providers. And I believe it's an open source project. Okay. Um, so uh, Too many you know, conspiracy theories, maybe. Too, too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that was a big concern of, <laughs> of a lot of people. Like they were, a lot of people turned their heads when they heard that, Google was running this or yes. like leading, leading the way on this because they had the same fears that you, you did. Um, but um, they are merely one stakeholder in this pro project and they are involving uh, a lot of other internet service providers. Um, I think Android on mobile supports AMP for email. I don't know the entire list of, oh, of internet okay. service providers that support AMP for email, but if you Google AMP for email, you can find a lot of information uh, on their site. I believe it's, Maybe amp.dev. Let me check. Amp for email. I just Googled it. I'm asking Skynet to find it. Yeah, it's amp.dev. Yeah, go to amp.dev. And then if you go to the specific uh, hover over uh, about and you'll see amp email uh, and you can check out amp for email. Um, there's a bunch of other different things they're doing with amp, um, but there's a lot of information on that site. So cool. Gmail, mail.ru and Outlook currently supported. Ooh, the lolly. Liz, who are you? Who are you? Can you take me back in time? Little Liz days. Yeah. How'd you get all these experiences? Did you always know you would be in marketing? Did I always want to be in marketing? No, no. Okay. So, wow. So I, I've always had a passion for like, I always love to read, like obsessed with reading, kind of a book nerd, um, read all the time growing up. And so then at some point, someone suggested to me like, oh, you love to read. You would probably love to be an English major. Um, <laughs> Where'd and, you grow up? Did you grow up in Philly or? Yeah, so I grew up in the Philly suburbs. Okay. I was actually homeschooled, uh, fun fact. The whole way me. through? The whole way through homeschooled. Wow. And you don't um, seem crazy at all. 
I know. I know. And it's, it's funny because I used to have such a worry about telling people I was homeschooled because yeah. of the stigma, the stigma around it and the stigma in high school when I would hang out with other high schoolers who went to public school or private school or whatever, there's just a lot of stigma around it, but uh, happy to talk about it now because yeah. I think, um, well, first off, the schooling that you go through is, is it's, it, there's no right answer. You know, it's the mm. public school, private school, homeschool. Like it depends on if you're a parent, it depends on your kid. If you're a kid, it depends on who you are as a child. So there's no right or wrong method. It's different for everybody. And it depends on your family. Right. Um, but I really appreciated being homeschooled now because I think it first off taught me to teach myself because mm. often when you're homeschooled, you don't have a teacher sitting there for every single subject you learn. Right. Uh, so I learned to be a self learner and be able to teach myself other topics. I'm not really good at listening. I found this out in college, uh, but I'm not good at listening to a lecture for 60 minutes or whatever, because I'm used to going and reading the material myself and figuring it out. And sure. so I'm much more of a, I learn through reading. I don't learn through listening. And uh, so that was one big part of it. The other thing about being homeschooled is you just kind of I think differently now, um, like the things that everyone's like, well, this is the way it should be done. I'm like, well, why, why is that the way it should be done? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and that's kind of homeschooling is, is that, is that same thing because everyone, most people don't homeschool and, uh, to homeschool or to be homeschooled, you kind of have to think, well, no, we don't have to do it that way. And so it really helped me to be a, a free thinker, which, which I love. And I think that's one of the reasons I felt comfortable starting my own business, uh, you know, in my twenties, um, when a lot of the corporate world wants to tell you that you can't do it, you won't make it. You wow. need, uh, you need your company. Um, because, uh, you know, as being homeschooled, I just, you're just awfully independent. And so I've always felt this, this, I hate, uh, like the nine to five world where it's like, well, you're going to sit this desk from nine to five. It doesn't matter how productive you are in that period, but just sit here. Yeah. And that to me was, that's just, school's just like that. Right. So do you yeah. think you've always felt like that or did it help that you, you didn't have to put up with that in school? Cause I think a lot of us like get desensitized to the fact that you got to sit here and be miserable. And I used to play with my pen and make it like a spaceship on my desk. So that I was like, I have something to do. Uh, well, class. side note, I used to do that same thing Did you? Um, with, with pens. Yeah. You could like turn them into like toys overnight. Like, yeah. it, Especially you, if they had a cap, like the cap was like the extra shot, like cap was like Elon Musk space shuttle and it was docking with the, the booster and you're like anything you can do. Yep. Yeah. I actually would pretend my pen was like a superhero. So oh, no uh, quite an imagination. Um, but yeah, that is, I, I, I'm pretty sure the big reason I've always hated the nine to five world is because when you're homeschooled, school ends whenever you're done. Yeah, it does. Uh, so, and you can get as done as quickly as you are motivated to get done. And yeah. you learn very quickly that, oh, it is much better to be here productive than to be here sitting uh, because, you know, we would end school often at noon. Uh, you <laughs> don't need to be in school until, um, three when you're when you're homeschooled and you can work at your own pace and it's productivity is what matters uh, and what you're producing rather than the time that you sit there and produce now if you were sort of sat down did you have any brothers and sisters doing this with you yeah i had two brothers who were also homeschooled 
interesting because it's like sample size, right? So, um, what kind of student were you? Were, the, were you the one there where you could they could sit you down with like a homeschool assignment? You would just do it, or did they have to like make sure you enjoyed it? Like, what kind of a like were you a good student even though it wasn't in the, in the school system, or were you kind of that more of that reb, rebellious thinker? Like, what what who were they dealing with when they were working with you? I was mostly a good student. I yeah. was. Yeah, I mean, like, there are certain subjects which I hated, and I remember, you know, certain times of... Which ones? What's your least favorite? Uh, I hated geometry. I think that was, like, you know, the math. Like, the, it's the only math I liked. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I appreciated algebra, like, the first year of algebra, sure. and then the second year of algebra, I was like, mm, no, thank you. Nope, toss uh, it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I always loved pretty much every other subject. Any sure. subject where you can read the material and learn it, um, I've never had too much of a problem with, whereas math, it's a bit of a different logic to it and you can sure. learn it, but it was harder for my mind. Uh, so I was a pretty good student and I was pretty much my mom, like in high school, my mom would be like, all right, just go to school. And I would just go do it. Oh, that's um, amazing. Did you yeah. finish early? Cause I feel like it's so much more efficient. Um, it's weird cause we're doing the homeschool now with our kids, you know, cause of the whole thing. And you get a chance to see you're right we're done by noon too and it's really cool to see but it makes you think like wow you know what, what else could you get done did did you just like blur through it all or no so i graduated uh, at a normal time i was like normal a year time? ahead a year okay. ahead um yeah. but it wasn't because i started school early it wasn't because um you know i worked massively fast but that is one yeah. thing i would do with my own kids if i decided to homeschool um, not necessarily ha have them graduate early because I think there's a maturity thing yeah. that I would like my kids to have when they go into college. Agreed. Um, but I would have them take something you can do when you're homeschooled is you can take um, co community college classes huh. as your homeschool classes, but they count for college credit. Um, so what you can do is get all of your like basic classes out of the way before you go to college. Uh, and as you know, everyone knows how expensive, expensive colleges. So this could actually cut a year off of college or allow you to double major uh, and use that time really well. And basically, I mean, you're just doubling up because you're doing your high school classes at community college and getting college credits. Wow. Yeah, I could see that being the case. And so you did eventually go to school for English. Did they talk you into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to college um, and uh, I went for my English major and a communications minor. Initially, I was just English, but then everyone started asking me. They're like, "Ah, so you're you're an English major, so you're gonna be a teacher. Oh, uh, you're gonna teach English." And I was like, mm, "No, I hate that idea. I hate the idea. I I just do not like you know, teachers. You are amazing. Patience of saints. Yeah. It's yes." Amazing. Uh, you're amazing, especially now, uh, but that is, that's not for me. The one thing I do, I am envious of teachers for is the summer off. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, but they had to work their butts off to get that summer off. Um, but yeah, so everyone, you know, was telling me, oh, you're going to be a teacher, you're an English major. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that was what I did not want to do. Right. And um, so towards junior, senior year, content marketing was starting to become a big thing hmm. and I could write and I realized, wait a minute, like this is a great way to use my English degree um, without becoming an English teacher, like a creative way to use it. And that was when I picked up 
um, a communications minor and the business focus uh, at college and started working towards becoming a marketer. And it's funny, content marketing was kind of still new on the scene at that point. Um, back in, it was probably like what, 2011, 2012. Yeah. And uh, it was still relatively new. And so you tell people, Oh, I want to be a content marketer. And they kind of look at you funny, like either they didn't know what it was, or they're like, mm, that's a fad. You know, that yeah. is a fad. It's not, it's not going to blow over. It's not a long-term thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, ended up pursuing that, got a job, you know, graduated with uh, my bachelor's degree and then uh, got a job at a SaaS company doing like as a marketing generalist basically. But I told them going in like, Hey, content is what I want to focus on. So they put me in charge of, there are small companies. They put me in charge of like their content. Um, and it, you know, it was fun being a marketing generalist because I, I learned what I liked and what I didn't like, and I got to touch on some of these different areas of marketing. And um, yeah, so then that's what got me into the content marketing world. From there, I took another yes. job specifically in content marketing uh, at Aweber, which is one of the world's biggest email marketing platforms, which is how I got so into email because um, I hung out with for years. Email with, all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Email nerds. All of us were email nerds and uh, we just loved it and saw with all of our customers how huge, how much of an impact email marketing can have on, on a business and um, how well it can help a business grow. And so that's where I learned the ins and outs of the email world. It's kind of like a soup, it's kind of like meta in a way. And mm -hmm. uh, like, yeah, that's how I became super nerdy on such a random marketing, uh, marketing area. And, uh, it was fun because at Aweber, you just, I mean, like when you work for an, e an ESP, when you work for an email marketing platform, you just see a whole nother side of the email marketing world. And, uh, yeah, so I worked for Aweber for about five years and then I left back in June to start my own, my own business. And, uh, you know, I, I love I love having my own business. It's, it's amazing. So hope yeah. that, you know, divests uh, is, is a good uh, version of the story. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome here in the background and the different steps. And so I have a hypothetical for you. Um, you get to go back in time. I have a time machine here in Nashua, New Hampshire. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll brush off the cobwebs and the squirrels, get them out of there. You get to go back in time and you get to meet yourself after college um Ooh, after college after college and or you're starting your maybe you know i'll, I'll give you two options maybe it's around when you're starting your first company because i know you were doing that in and around school it's like early you at the start of your career that's who you can mm -hmm. go talk to what kind of advice would you give yourself oh. you personally you get to go meet you like hey liz like hey liz like yeah um like bill and ted <laughs> i would tell myself invent a social media platform where people share videos uh. <laughs> of themselves and uh no i would tell myself to first off build an audience uh start creating content build an audience around you and your expertise and what you know and that audience is going to become very valuable mm -hmm. uh and that's going to be very important. And then the other thing I would tell myself is entrepreneurship 
you know, spend time learning about that. Um, that's, that's, you know, the place to go to get freedom, uh, where your dreams will never be limited because they could be anything and maybe they'll fail and fall flat on their face. Uh, but they could be anything and no one's telling you no for a reason, you know, other than it's, it's you or you're the person that's going to hold you back. And that's going to be wonderful because you can, you know, fight and make yourself better, but that's going to be, you don't have other barriers, uh, besides yourself. Uh, let's see. There was a third one I was thinking of that I would tell myself that I'm not, I'm not remembering now. What would it be? Um, you know, I don't remember, That's but yes, oh, entrepreneurship and building an audience, uh, definitely hugely important things. I would have told myself that I kind of at the time didn't realize it's funny looking back and thinking about like back to my 22 year old self or my 21 year old yeah. self when I graduated college. Yeah. What was she like? Oh my goodness. Uh, very different person. Um, not interested in entrepreneurship at all. I'd never, it never even crossed my mind to start my own business at that point. Um, you know, just kind of going with the flow and didn't realize I'm a very competitive person. And f from all my life, you know, I've always been extremely competitive in sports, but I didn't realize how fun and competitive the business world could be and that it could be that same thing. Um, where, you know, it, you can just get so passionate about it. So, yeah. yeah. So it's funny looking back at my old self cause I was kind of unaware, <laughs> but I'm sure we all like every stage in our life, we look back five years and we're like, Oh, that idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, and even if we have these thoughts, it's like not typically acceptable or we haven't been exposed to, you know, a source that says, no, no, no actually that, I mean, you were probably, that was probably in you, right? This, you were probably an entrepreneur this whole time, but just maybe you just needed permission for even from yourself. Cause you mentioned like yeah. we hold ourselves back more than anyone really just yeah. giving yourself permission to be like, Oh wait, I can't actually go do this. Like, you know, maybe the institution is telling you go be an English teacher, but really you want to go do X, you know, right. and just going and doing it. Right. And I think we often feel that, and I felt this myself, that these people who achieve great results in life, that they're just way smarter. Mm. They've had way more opportunity. They, you know, they're, they're rich or you know, there's just no way I could be that good. You know, yeah. there's no way they're just brilliant. And <laughs> a lot of, a lot of people, I mean, they're, they're just showing up. And uh, when you show up repeatedly um, and you keep going and you keep trying, uh, you tend to get some traction eventually. And the people who start businesses, the people who are really successful in their careers, sometimes they're geniuses, uh, but often they're just the people who keep going and, you know, keep testing and trying things. I mean, that's what happened with me uh, with LinkedIn. You know, I kind of, it's surprising to me how that all happened, but I just started posting over and over and over. And if oh, I go really? back and- yeah, How did yeah. that happen? You, yeah, just, I, you started posting? Just How do you posting. have like 20,000 followers? Oh, I, I had a few posts go viral, so that helped. Um, but it all started with, the reason I, you know, can get a post to go viral at this point is because I've posted so much that I'm like, every now and again, I'll have this idea. I'm like, ah, like, mm. you know. The algorithm and, favors you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but that, but that was just like, I had no idea what I was doing when I started posting on LinkedIn. You know, I was yeah. just randomly posting. And if I, and I go back and look at my first post, it's like, well, 
Like that's, you know, that's awful. But um, yeah. And I mean, part of it too, is just being authentic and sharing mm-hmm. true stories and being open and, um, you know, caring and, and thinking differently. I don't know. That's, there's a lot of different things, but uh, yeah, my, I, I think imposter syndrome is pervasive and sometimes even when you don't have to believe you, even when you don't believe in yourself, you got to be like, okay, no, I'm, I'm doing this anyway. I'm a little worried that it's not going to work. Um, but you know, I'm, I, this is something I really want. So I'm willing to take the risk. Yeah. And sometimes you just really getting clarity on what you want, you know, yeah. before diving into all the details and the risks and the next steps and the to do's just like what do you actually want in this situation what's the ideal outcome for you you know and then work backwards from that right and it's different for everybody it is you know? yeah um and yeah it's just different from for everybody you know some people want to be at the same job for 40 years uh, because they love that stability they love their team they love um you know every day at five right on the right on the dot they get to go home to their family bye (laughs) yeah it's like see ya and they don't worry about that anymore so everyone's different and like that's like that's the perfect lifestyle for the for certain people um so that's the other side of it like can't force everyone into this entrepreneurial like passionate like work obsessed box (laughs) yeah yeah do like do you you know yeah Um, yeah there's a kind of a cool quote and maybe it's a book, I don't know, from Dan Sullivan, where he says, like, want what you want, you know, like not what somebody else wants for you or says that the key to happiness is wanting X. Like, no, it's in there. You got your own and just be okay with that. And you don't feel like you need to justify to anyone what will make you happy. Just go get it. Go do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we got so like philosophical. Philosophical, here. I know. This is the <laughs> this is the philosophy show. Isn't <laughs> Casey? How I am you? unqualified to be here. <laughs> oh no, no, you are qualified to be here. Um, it just, but like, it's we're real people, you know. So even just goes to show, you know, someone um, with twenty thousand followers on LinkedIn is a real person with real history and challenges and things you'd tell yourself in the past, and yet. I would say all the things you're telling other people, you've, you've showed up repeatedly, you know, you have been consistent on LinkedIn and you have been, um, and it's hard work and not everybody is up for that challenge. And so that's why not everybody has 20,000 followers. Like I have like nine. So that's really like 9,000. Yeah. Oh, that's really good too. I had no idea until I was talking to people like yourself and, you know, um, 9,000 is unusual. So that's like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people have like five, like 600 followers on LinkedIn. Sure. I think that's like probably the more like the average. Um, so 9,000, you're a LinkedIn influencer too. <laughs> Does it qualify me to chat with you on a podcast? <laughs> yes, of course. So. We should yeah. start a LinkedIn podcast next. Let me continue, Casey. Have you done that live yet? or Have you done, done, done LinkedIn live? Yeah. I have. Um, Do you have that like access if you get granted permission? Yeah. So yes, I've done it. Um, when I, last time I did a LinkedIn live, like it's very much in beta. Um, the last time I did one and, uh, there's some usability issues. Um, Hmm. 
the last time I did one, which w- the big one was you couldn't really see comments as you were live, which is a big problem. That is a big like, problem. You, yeah, you, like, you had to have like multiple screens open. Oh, geez. Um, multiple browsers too, so it, it doesn't reload the same. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, like you had to be refreshing on one page while oh, you're no. like live on the other. Uh, so there was, um, uh, and I use StreamYard, which is a good service, but I use StreamYard to, to stream it. Um, but it was like, they were, it's clearly still in beta the last yeah. time I did a LinkedIn live. Um, so I haven't done one uh, recently. Why not? I should do one. You, you should know? do one. I should. Totally do one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, and I've also, like, how, I guess the follower count probably helped with you getting into the beta because I think everyone's kind of trying to figure out how to get into that, you know? Yeah. I had a much smaller following when I got in. Um, but I was posting regularly. So I yeah. think that helps. I think they, they just really want to get people in there that are going to use it mm-hmm. and they'll take away your access. If, uh, if you don't create LinkedIn, live then videos. you probably should go use that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I should go see if I still have it because they oh, could have taken it away and I could have missed it, but I'm pretty sure they'd give it back to me they if would. I, if I asked them but we'd have to see. Like, don't you know who you're talking to? Come on. No, they don't know me. That's for sure. There are many much bigger, uh, you know, LinkedIn influencers than I. Um, so they'd be like, who are you? No, I doubt it. But nice of you to say that. Um, but I know I, you're, you're up there for sure. Um, I see you all the time and you're right. It's that regular posting, but I, you also not just regular posting, regular engagement. Like you're very giving and very engaging. You engage with everyone's content, you know, and that, that gives content weight. Um, and I've, I've many times I've had a post where my post has like a little bit of views and then some rock star comes in and makes one comment and that comment has more views than the post itself has, you know? And so you're very giving and caring with your attention. And, and so you're, you're even more than the regular posting is you're, I see you out there just engaging with other people's content. I think that earns you the trust that we talked about at the very beginning of this whole thing. Yeah. 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 It's definitely important to be, yeah. Building that relationship and engaging with others for sure. For sure. Last question. We get out of this thing. Travel restrictions are done. Where are you going? Where are you flying to? Flying anywhere? Oh yes. Yeah. I'm going to Europe for sure. So uh, I'll probably go to, I go to Switzerland every year when COVID's not happening. Really? Um, yeah, I go snowboarding in Switzerland. I have a friend who oh, lives sick. in Bern, Switzerland, and uh, we go snowboarding sort of near there, a few hours from Bern. Um, and I actually went, this, like, this is turning into another story, but I went in February right yeah. before COVID went nuts. Uh, that was the last time I was there. It was the beginning of February. And we were flying back, trying to get on the flight. And we had a layover in Oslo, trying to get on the flight. And they started screening for COVID, like their first screening they'd ever done right there and right then. And they didn't even oh, know what geez. they were doing. Uh, they were like, we had a multi-hour wait as they figured out like, oh, wait, we should probably be asking people if they have COVID before they get on this flight. Oh, the um, transition period is always gross because nobody knows what they're doing. And, yeah. and, and the workers haven't really been told and there's not really good SOPs. And they're just like, uh, wow, yeah. that's, that's kind of crazy to be traveling at that time. Yeah, that was nuts. So yes, Switzerland and then Malta. I've been wanting to go to Malta. Have you been to Malta? Where where is no. is that like Mediterranean? South of Italy. Oh, I mean that sounds like a good place. Oh, is that that island south of Italy? Yeah, um, 
I like Malta because, um, let me pull up the map, but I like Malta because uh, you can easily get over to Italy. Um, but okay. then also it's one of the more unexplored, I mean, like it's a less touristy area, so it's uh, pretty affordable. It's gorgeous. Uh, so I want to get there. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's south of even Sicily, that whole big island. Yeah. So it's like a little tiny, it's a tiny little blip on the map. Yeah, not too far from um, Africa, actually. Right? Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Actually, see, you never know. You know, with all the people listening, maybe now Malta becomes the place to go this year. No, I shouldn't have said anything. You should have had like a false flag of like, actually, I'm going to Sicily. Go to Rome. Go to Rome. Yeah, go to Rome, people. (laughs) No one goes there. (laughs) See the Colosseum. Yeah, Malta looks pretty awesome. Not that that's my list, too. Um, man, I'm excited to go anywhere, but I did see something about, um, what was that island, um, in, um, the French, uh, Caribbean island, uh, Martinique. Ah, okay. That and it's wonderful. like a little mini France. Have you been there? I have not. I've been to France, right. but I've not been there. France love- is wonderful. So anything French is amazing. Yes. I loved Paris and I'd always heard yeah. the, uh, they're all rude you nope nope great great place yeah yeah I, same I loved it french yeah. people are amazing i mean i'm sure there are some that aren't it's like anything else but uh Probably. most french people that i meet are so friendly so amazing so love france yeah so that, imagine like putting france on a tropical beach it's like sign me up right and yeah. they showed on the show like they're um they're passing out croissants to like school kids for breakfast and i'm like oh hell yeah you know like this is man i need to go there they're doing that yeah best thing to do in france is have in the morning just sit at a cafe uh, with a cappuccino or like you know some kind of coffee your croissant and fresh squeezed orange juice like Mm. nothing beats it absolutely man france is paris is like my number one now and it was weird because i have a lot of other number ones but now it's hard i mean art wise food and when i first got there i realized oh your core values are drinking wine eating great food and enjoying life everything else takes a secondary seat sign me up like this sounds great (laughs) yep yeah let me stay the food alone the food alone is is it's just amazing yeah yeah even rando places, you know, like I, it was funny. I was like stressing. I don't know why I was, but I was stressing like, where are we going tonight? And like, what, what restaurant can I find? What do the reviews say? It's like, eh, you're fine. Like the caliber is the, the standards are so high that even if you like pick the wrong place, you're probably going to be wowed. You know? Yep. Yeah. You know, like even their worst places are like <laughs> yeah. half of the U S restaurants. Uh, sorry, U S. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys. Um, Man, so yeah, it'll be great to to get out to some place somewhere. But Malta, Malta sounds yeah. you'll have to report back. We throw some things in your LinkedIn stories. Are you using those? Uh, yeah, I just started using LinkedIn stories. What's your uh, take on that? Should we be skeptical or should we just use it? Definitely use it uh, because, like yeah. I said, get out there, start using the stuff. Be one of the first people using it. Um, That's a great way to build an audience if you're one of the first. So definitely recommend jumping on it. It is strange though, because um, like it's kind of like your personal professional, like it's getting a little bit more unveiling a little bit more, uh, which I think is great because in the professional world, great on one level, because in the professional world, we're told, oh, be very corporate. 
and uh, you know, don't share anything personal. And the, the problem with that is then no one relates to anything we're doing Nothing. because people relate to their to experiences they have had and then similar experiences that other people are talking about and that kind of that moment of like, I'm not alone. Someone else yeah. feels the same way. Someone else went through the same thing. That's what we relate to um, humanity, but like, you know, in the, in marketing and corporate marketing, we're often told, no, 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 be very professional. And that's, that's messed up. Um, so I like that it's adding some humanity to the LinkedIn world, but on the downside, sometimes it's like a weird, like, I don't know. It's, it's some, now it's like, I have people DMing me like inappropriate things now on LinkedIn on occasion, like, just like, like it'll be a video and I'm talking about like some event coming up and someone like sends like a hard eye emoji um, or like, and, and uh, it's just kind of weird on like when like, things like Yeah. That. Like the weird, like Instagram stalking where people are like, right. right. It feels like Instagrammy to me. So in like LinkedIn, I've always enjoyed that. Like, you know, um, like sometimes you get weirdos, but like well, most the times. You comment, right? Like the doe eye thing. Like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I posted that. So sometimes you'll get people. I had yeah. So that story was some. What did he say? He called me gazelle eyes. Some guy oh, messaged eyes. me on LinkedIn and said hi, gazelle eyes or something like that. And I was like, what does that mean? Like I know he should not be saying that, but that is also just weird. I yeah. I'll get comments like that. Weird but- is like it, it's almost like so weird that it's not even like someone like you doing a pickup like if it was like a pickup line you'd be like that's inappropriate it's not the right place for that but it's just so weird beyond that you're like is it just was it like a different nationality or something where the person was like maybe that's a compliment in their country or something yeah i think culturally it might maybe it might have been a a compliment in their country were they from Um, malta i don't know i don't even know but um it was it was, it was a bizarre one. Yeah. Like one of those ones, if you saw that on Tinder, you'd be like, Oh, like that's, you know, <laughs> that's not going to work. So, I mean, that line wouldn't have been effective on a dating platform and it certainly wasn't effective on LinkedIn. <laughs> you know, it didn't, didn't, you know, it didn't really work for me. Um, not sure what platform that works on, honestly. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> that platform has not been created yet. <laughs> yes. It's one day. TikTok. Yeah. Now. TikTok, you never yeah, know. Maybe TikTok, um, but yeah, that, that yeah. So I mean, it happens sometimes in the LinkedIn world, but like stories, uh, like it's happening sooner no. than I would like with that. It seems, but I think people will pick up on the fact that LinkedIn stories are different than Instagram stories, and you know, you don't you don't reply to a LinkedIn story to hit on someone. <laughs> yeah, what should I do? Well, like, what, what's your advice to me on LinkedIn stories? Um, so an example of a couple of things I posted today, I posted, um, a video of one of my bookshelves filled with marketing books that I had just read. Cool. Um, so, uh, I think about it like similar to Instagram, like how can you use visuals to help the intended audience? Right. Uh, so the intended audience are in your case, probably marketing professionals or, um, CEOs, sure. COOs, professionals. Um, so like, yeah, how can you give an inside peek at your life? That'll also be informational and helpful for people. Um, like peel back the curtain a little bit, but also be helpful. Um, right. And so that's kind of how I'm uh, approaching it, but it's new. So, you know, we're all just, uh, figuring it out as we go. So don't just post my random rock climbing photos from yesterday. Maybe post like rock climbing is like email marketing, blah, blah, blah. Here's my rock climbing photo. Like I, I, 
I think you could post rock climbing. I went, I played volleyball last night oh, yeah? uh, and I, I was about to post about volleyball because uh, I still play competitive volleyball um, and, you know, while running a business. And I think it's really important to have that balance, like, and to be, to have a balanced life where you're exercising because exercise and eating right are so important for focus, for productivity, for being able to think the right way. Um, And again, in the professional world, we're like, well, if you just work more, you'll be more productive. And that's not Mm -hmm. the case. Uh, So posting something like you doing rock climbing uh, could be awesome for your audience to see because it could give them ideas and ways to exercise, but you could also tie it back to how important it is to you uh, to have that work-life balance and to um, you know, and how that helps your productivity. And it also, again, is peeling back the curtain a bit, you know, in like not in an unprofessional way because you're showing like something fun you do, but you can tie right. it back to professional stuff. Yeah. I, I wonder, right. Cause, cause it almost feels like I don't want to, I have a hard time with cheesy. I can't do cheesy. I, yeah. I've tried, um, but I can do real, I can do authentic and I can teach, I can share things, but, it, um, so I almost wonder, like, it, almost like A-B testing, like maybe a LinkedIn share that has, like, just like a straight-up business thing that's helpful. Another one that's, like, straight-up just personal. Here's me. I, I enjoy rock climbing. That, this is, the, yeah. this is the, me that's not 9 to 5. This is the 5 to 9, as Greg would say, from Alice. And then, um, and then maybe a third one, which is, like, combining the two and just asking people, which, which seems weird. And which yeah. one seems like, you know, like it just, you're right. It's weird. It's like, and some people are just reacting like, oh, don't do it at all. Or this is stupid. They're adding it. It probably is stupid. They're adding it, but they're adding it. So it's here, here to figure out. Uh, but it's just a weird question to figure out what kind of, you want to be not helpful, I guess, marketing content on it. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Yeah, I would say helpful, but I would say test. Like just exactly what you're saying. Test, test, test. Test, um, yeah because and try different things and ultimately if it doesn't work for you stop doing it like right um something i realized the other day was or a few weeks ago i was creating these like comics in canva uh that were like funny <laughs> marketing comics and sure. i was posting them on linkedin and i loved them i thought they were hilarious and there was like a small audience of people who loved them too but what i realized was i was spending such a massive amount of time creating these comics they were getting some traction but they weren't getting uh, traction that justified the effort i was putting mm-hmm. into them so i stopped doing them i mean maybe i'll bring one back at a certain point maybe the jokes weren't as funny as i thought they were um because they were like comical comics, of course. And uh, wrong so, target audience. Just email them all to me. Do you have them? Do you have them somewhere? Stored somewhere? Yeah, yeah. I'll send them over. I have one about uh, the one was about branding, um, and like CEOs who don't care about branding. Uh, and then nice. the other one was about um, <laughs> it was about MLMs, so multi-level marketing, like you know, like the essential oil multi-level marketing God, businesses. Those people. Um, which I know I have a lot of people I, I love and care about who do businesses like that, but I'm, you know, very opposed to MLMs um, just because like, if it's such a good product, you're not sharing profits with all of these other people. Like, like I just think multi-level marketing is such a flawed system that ropes people. This is like a whole nother topic. I don't know how I, I think it's, this. I think it's like a human abuse, like honestly, mm-hmm. MLM, because all you're doing is you're trading someone's network temporarily. They're, no one, they're not going to have any friends anymore because they're going to sell to everyone and everyone's going to be like, oh God, they want to sell me something. And then you're done. And then, I mean, there's a reason why the FDA or whatever federal government goes after these things and you look at numbers and 
Yeah. And then it's like, you're getting rich off of other people. But what's crazy is they play on the heartstrings of like, Ooh, own a business, run at this, run at that. You can do that without these taskmasters, do, you know, telling you what to do and tricking other people into it. Yeah. Real value, you know? Yeah. It's like evil marketers convincing people that they yeah. can change their lives uh, with this thing that only works for a small percentile of people. Um, it's, it might as well be Vegas, right? Yeah. Might as well be Vegas. And, and they're promising them. It's, yeah. It's just, it's really upsetting to me. Um, and uh, if you're multi-level marketing, the ones that bother me the most are the ones where you're much more likely to make money uh, by recruiting others to resell than you are by actually selling the product. Yeah. Um, that is a way to tell a scam right there. If it's a company is not making their most money their most revenue by selling the product, then the product's not that great. If, and they're just selling a spiel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many other things to do that are way more rewarding. And I'm always a little sad when people fall into that, but I'm also like, okay, it just, as no, as a company, it's like, Oh, it's just a, it, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Because we could go in a dark spiral talking all about them, but we, uh, we won't. <laughs> We could. And I, you know, I love my friends who are in. Okay. Have you ever bought any of this stuff from them? No. Uh, By the way, if you say yes, then all the people listening to be like, Ooh, let me sell you my thing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Really? And no, I, uh, yeah, I would have to be like, I mean, are Girl Scout cookies in MLM? I bought Girl Scout cookies. Okay. Sign me up for that. (laughs) I'm okay with that. But then again, they don't promise the people that they're going to like, they just get yeah. to go to camp for free or something. And, um, <laughs> that was a joke, but I love Girl Scout fees. But no, I haven't. I have a good question though, right? But does it like, if you, if you were to examine it in the structure, right. it's fundraising for organization. Now, yeah. if, if these places were like, we're fundraising for organization, you're not actually going to make any money. We might send you to camp or get you a free magazine, but that's it. That'd be more honest, you know? Right. I mean, Girl Scouts is for profit, right? Aren't they? For no, profit? no, no, not they're for not. Profit. They're nonprofit. No, well, I yeah. mean, I bet though their C-suite is making bank. Probably. Um, yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, large organization. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is a nonprofit for yeah. sure. Well, I love Girl Scout cookies and think the Girl Scouts is a wonderful organization. So just like to clarify that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Clarify. Did you know that a lot of local grocery stores have knockoffs that are actually pretty accurate? Really? Yes. Hannaford up here. Really? I don't know if you have those guys down in Philly, but Hannaford's yeah. has every single kind, has the Thin really? Mints, my fave, and then has every other kind. And the Thin Mints are spot on. Like they raided the factory and took their recipe. Wow. I love Thin Mints. That's yeah. dangerous. And it's not like $5 a box for four cookies anymore. So. Uh, yeah, I love the mints. You know what I love even more? Are those Pillsbury slice and bake cookies? You don't slice them anymore. You just you don't slice. Them. You're right. They should. That was half the fun is you get that weird roll and you, then you slice it. Yeah, I always love that. And I love the, you know, it's coming up, but I love the ones of like the Halloween jack-o'-lanterns on them and the ghosts. Yeah. Uh, and then the cat, I think they have cats. I don't know how we got into this again, but, and then they have the Christmas ones that come out. Those things are bad for me because yep. I buy They're them. completely bad just... for you, but somehow they fit the season perfectly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's sometimes food, as we tell the kids, this is sometimes right. food. <laughs> this right. Is, right. This is a Sesame Street thing. This is a sometimes food. 
Um, we should probably have a theme on that with marketing. These are sometimes channels. Yes. <laughs> These are not all the all, social media is your sometimes channel. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, hey, where can people connect with you? You've thrown out the lead mag, but throw out, throw out your site again. So throw out some social platforms. Where can people reach out and say hi? Yeah. Not send um, you creepy messages. <laughs> yeah. So lizwillets.com. That's L-I-Z-W-I-L-L-I-T-S.com. Cool. Uh, you'll see a tab there to get the free guide. Uh, you can also contact me there, but also uh, check me out or follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I share the most content. You can find me under my name, Liz Willits. Um, it's Liz-Willits on LinkedIn as well. Boom. There it is. There it is. Thank you so much for coming on here. This has been fun. It, it's fun to like interact with you on LinkedIn and then the real person, um, I guess you're real either way, but like to talk to you live is just like a real treat. So I mean, thank you so much for coming on here. Thanks for having me, Casey. It's been uh, just a really fun conversation and fun to nerd out on uh, marketing with you. On everything, MLMs, Girl Scout cookies. That's what the show is really about. We should rename it. Yeah, the Girl Scout cookie marketing uh, podcast. podcast. I'm sure the Girl Scout you know nonprofit <gasps> attorneys would have a nice season to assist oh yeah they, they would be after you but you could you could just name it a provocative name like um our girl scouts our girl scout cookies and mlm podcast oh and then na- you like just, this episode name that and then no name the entire show that and then you just investigate <laughs> beyond the girl scouts like all of these like mlms it's probably not a good title that's a great a idea have you do you <laughs> podcast have you thought of like doing that yeah, so I'm sort of in the works of uh, starting a podcast, Should. but investigating the MLMs is not a, you know, it's a good idea. So someone should do it. For someone um, listening. <laughs> yeah. Someone should do it, but that is not a dark tunnel I want to go down. <laughs> right. MLM investigates. Episode one, yeah. Girl Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> or Girl Scouts. <laughs> uh, I know, we just picked on them. Well, hey, for the people listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I have two pages of notes over here, front and back. Ran out of paper, couldn't couldn't keep it in line. Share this with someone. LinkedIn is a great place for that. Tag Liz, tag myself. Don't just share the episode. Share your takeaways, and that's how you start a conversation. That's how Liz does it, and you just start a conversation. We'll comment on there. We'll join in your in your conversation. But that is what thought leadership is all about. Um, do that. Share the episode with one other person. Ninety eight people, three people, whatever. Just share it. Get those thoughts out, um, and tell us how you feel about it. With that, Liz, you are a rock star. Let's hang out. We'll get you back on here later on. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. All righty. For those listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.